Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of the Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. And I'm John Simon. Today, we're going to do part two of starting your own law firm. So, Eric, we've talked about the decision to go out on your own or start a firm with somebody else. And we've talked about the pros, cons, benefits, challenges. And what I'd like to do is go through some of the things on my list and your list of advice, what you need to do, what you need to be thinking about if you're really considering going out on your own. Top of the list for me is a mission statement. Absolutely. There's a very, very old saying, if a man knows not to which port he sails, no wind is favorable. You got to know where you're going. What do you want your firm to be? And I think it's it's going to be answered in large part as to why you're doing it. Why is it that you want to start a firm? And most people who are willing to take that leap are pretty passionate about it, and they've got some pretty good idea of what they want that firm to be. So I think you need to give that some thought and put it on paper. Write out a mission statement for your firm. What it is that you want to be known for? What do you want to strive towards? I don't know if I've ever told you this about my first day of law school. I was a philosophy major. You know, what am I doing in law school? Well, I just thought it'd be interesting to figure out the puzzles and the, and the problems. And I really didn't know what I was doing. And my first lunch, I, I found three people I sat down next to. And I said, hey, mind if I join you for lunch? And no problem. And at that point, there's four of us at the table and they were going around the table talking about what their aim is for being a lawyer. And it was about money, money, money. That was it. It was, I'm going to make a lot of money. Here's a field where I can make money. And I thought, man, I'm in the wrong place. And I, and it was really discouraging. I wondered whether I should have even signed up for law school. And I, and I hope they turned out better. I mean, I think two of them dropped out of law school actually, but there's, there's something about finding who you are and what excites you about doing these difficult things. And we've talked about that often about making sure that you do what you're passionate about, what you can be proud of looking back at it. And then the, the financial stuff takes care of itself. Uh, but you gotta, you gotta have the right heart to make sure that you're in it to do something good to help somebody. I think that's, that's where I would start. We gave this a lot of thought. And I don't know that we actually wrote it down in the beginning when we started, but we all had a couple things in common. And it was myself and Paul was one of my partners and Jeff was the other partner. The two things really at the top of the list that we agreed on right from the start, we all wanted to do excellent work. We just had like no tolerance for not doing good work. And I think that was a function of our backgrounds and where we had worked, but we wanted to make sure that the work was just top notch, just as good as we could make it. And the other thing, just as important, we wanted to make sure our client's interest came first, period. Any decision that came up, what's best for the client? That sort of guided us on every other decision that we made early on and decisions we made as the firm got older and bigger. And how could that fail, I guess, looking back at it, doing excellent work for your clients, making happy clients, and that's, that's the first prong of marketing, getting known for doing excellent work to make clients happy. I can't think of a better start than that. I looked up our firm mission. We do have a written mission statement. It says at the Simon Law Firm, our mission is to provide the highest quality legal services with integrity, professionalism, and respect for our clients in the greater community. And that's something that we actually 
put down and agreed on in terms of what our mission statement is. So we've talked about starting out, having a purpose, a mission statement, knowing what you want your firm to be, knowing what you want it to look like, where you're going with it. Very next thing, I think, is set some goals. The goals could be clients, cases, revenue, attorney growth, but not just where you are when you start, but where do you want the firm to go? Have some vision about where do you want to be in two years, where do you want to be in five years? I would assume that's uh, an early decision is what kind of cases do you like to handle? There's firms that would uh, handle debt collection of consumers. There's people do traffic tickets. You know, what kind of cases do you want to handle? And do you want to go to court? Do you want to be a trial attorney? I think that's a big fork in the road. Do you want to go to court? It's very stressful to go to court sometimes. And a lot of people are just thinking, I'd rather not do that. I'd rather do something else. So that will set part of your goal right there. You got to figure that out in the beginning. I'm going to get real practical now. And this is a list I put together of things that if you're getting ready, if you're talking with somebody else, or you're thinking about going out on your own, this is the list as a business plan, basically, is what it is. Practice of law is a profession, but it's also a business. If you don't think it's both, you're not going to be practicing law long, I don't think. But you need to think about these things before you get started. I think top of the list is finances. It's cash flow. I have met with attorneys, dozens of attorneys throughout the years who have come to me asking for my advice on going out on their own, opening up a law firm, opening up a practice. The advice that I've given is different depending on the circumstances and, and who was asking me. But one of the things in every one of them was, how are you going to pay your bills? If you're not thinking about that, you're going to be in big trouble. If you're doing contingency work, you got to sit down and talk about, okay, what kind of cases am I going to get? How many cases, one of these cases going to get resolved? On the plaintiff side with contingency fee cases, everybody knows we got a saying, money comes in occasionally and it goes out continuously. And so you really need to look at the cases. I looked at the cases that we had when we started out. I looked at very conservatively what the value of those cases was and when we thought that they would resolve. And you really can look at a very conservative number of what do you think your revenue is going to be? And then the other side of the ledger is your expenses. What type of funds do you need to make it for one year, two years? What's your overhead for a year? You really need to look at that. How far do you look ahead for that? Maybe not just you, but let's say there's a, an attorney with five years of experience going out on their own and they want to do plaintiff work. So this is contingent fee work. And you have continuous expenses hitting you. Do you go about year by year or do you look three years? I would say the answer to that depends on what kind of cases you have and what the turnaround time is. If you're doing all contingency and no hourly, hourly is a little easier. You know what clients you have. You know how many hours you're going to be billing or what you need to bill. But on the contingency stuff, like our cases, most of our cases, there's nothing in our office that gets resolved in 18 months, hardly anymore. You know, the cases are fairly complex. We don't settle cases without filing them. When we get them in, we file them and start working them up. So to start out doing what we're doing with no cases, I think would be almost impossible because you're really not going to see any revenue for several years, maybe two or three years. When we did open our firm, we had cases that we had developed at our other firm that we brought with us, and we worked something out with the other firm about paying them back for fees, our fee sharing or splitting. But you really need to do that. The attorneys I've met with, it's a real eye-opener. I'll say, what kind of cases do you have? Especially the ones that will come in and say, I want to do plaintiff stuff. I want to open a firm. It's a long process, opening the firm, doing some marketing, getting the case, getting the case signed up, getting it on file. You're looking at a minimum of a couple of years before any of those cases are really going to turn into anything. You need to think about that. The second thing on the list is establish a relationship with an accountant or a bookkeeper. 
somebody you're comfortable with, somebody that you can trust, somebody that's going to be there to help you answer questions. Things like what form of business? Is it an LLC? Is it a partnership? Just to answer those types of questions. A lot of attorneys I know don't have a business background. So you really are going to depend and lean on somebody with a business background. You should have a regular accountant. And when you're starting out, you're probably not going to have the luxury of having a bookkeeper in-house or an accountant in-house. It's probably going to be somebody outside your firm. The next thing on the list, banking relationship. That is incredibly important. I remember that when we started 21 years ago, the three of us set up an appointment with the banker that our old firm had been working with. We were trying to get a line of credit established for cases, and we had some significant cases, so it was a significant amount of money. And I just remember the banker that we were meeting with and talking to seemed real nervous. <laughs> he was asking us questions, kind of beating around the bush about collateral and all this. So you're starting out a new firm, huh? We had to explain the contingency component of it. And he just didn't seem real confident in the plan, so to speak. And then all of a sudden, he started asking some more detailed questions about homes and resources and collateral. And boy, did he cheer up when he knew <laughs> you know, that we had actual collateral for the line of credit. And I think that's when the coffee came in. And I'm, I'm kind of joking around a little bit. He we, thought you were going to lose all your yeah, cases. Yeah. You know what? He was a really, really good guy. We're still with the same bank 21 years later. They've done a phenomenal job for us. And we've got a really, really solid relationship with them that we've built over the years. But number one, think about your cash flow. Actually put pen to paper and figure out how you're going to pay bills in the next 12 months, 24 months, and so on. Hire a good accountant. Establish a relationship with a good banker, somebody that you need to get a line of credit in place. The next thing is office administration, and this is going to depend on the circumstances. If you're starting a firm and you're going to have five or, or fewer attorneys, it's probably not feasible from an economic standpoint to have a full-time administrator. You could have somebody come in part-time, do the books a little bit, pay the bills, things like that. It's probably not a good idea to have one of the attorneys doing it. And I think there's a way to do it where you can have somebody come in maybe one day a week and write the checks and do that. But you certainly need somebody to help you with the administration. The next thing is have a marketing plan. We did a whole session on marketing. You need to be thinking about marketing, I think, way before you even start the firm. You want to talk about how you can market the opening of the firm, how you can get the word out to everybody. You need to have a plan in place. But we're talking about your business plan for starting a new firm. Cash flow, accountant, banker, office administrator, part-time or full-time, a marketing plan. The other thing, too, is it's never too early to start thinking about good policies and procedures of the firm running conflict checks. Not doing that, you can get into trouble. Diaring and keeping track of statutes limitations. You want to make sure you don't miss a statute and things like that. And for me, Eric, it was really easy on a lot of these policies and procedures because I had worked at two other firms that did an excellent job with all of this stuff. And it was as simple as taking the things that they had in place that worked, that we liked, implementing those, and the ones we didn't like so much, we changed them. We had a big head start, not just in practicing law, but on the administrative side of it, too. I had a podcast with your brother, Tony. We talked about how a lot of firms, not necessarily law firms, start small, and they don't get the policies clear on the on the ground floor because they, they think they're going to be small, and then success happens. And all of a sudden, you know, a firm that had two people, and maybe a law firm could be this way, you have two partners working together in constant contact. Maybe you're seeing each other so often that you can fine-tune this stuff as you go. Blink a few times, six years later, now you've got eight people and you don't have any policies on the ground. So I'm, I'm wondering, I'm not asking you what your policies are, but do you have a thick 
policy manual or is it is it all written? How, how much do you document and have manuals that people follow? Well, we have it in writing. And one of the benefits of having it in writing is when we hire new paralegals or secretaries or attorneys, it's nice to have it in one place so they can look it over so that nobody's missing anything. Once a year, we go through and we have meetings with the staff and meetings with the attorneys refreshing on policies. And a lot of the more important policies we cover on a more regular basis. So Eric, let me ask you this. One of the most important things of starting a firm, if you're going to start it with somebody else, and I think this is probably the most important. I mean, cash flow is pretty critical, line of credit, malpractice insurance, all those things are very, very important. I think one of the most important things is choosing your partner, choosing your partner. And the first question is, do you need a partner? Do you want to start out and maybe there are opportunities to hire maybe a younger lawyer to work with you? Do you need a partner? If you are going to have a partner, I think it should be somebody that you're really familiar with. You know what you're getting into, so to speak. I've seen a lot of situations where it just didn't work out and it wasn't really one person's fault or the other, but the different attorneys just didn't share the same values or philosophies on stuff. I'll give you a perfect example, work ethic. I'm big time on work ethic. I mean, that's how I was raised. That's how I grew up. I come from a family of 10. My dad was like, worst sin of all is sitting on your butt. You roll up your sleeves and you work. I was taught, and I believe that's what I kind of preach here, there's very little that can't be solved by just rolling up your sleeves, getting to work, you know, figuring out we're lawyers. That's what we do. We solve problems. I know attorneys who have had partners where one has a very good, strong work ethic, and maybe the other one, and again, nothing against that, but they don't want to be in the office 60 hours a week. They want to be in the office 30 hours a week. That's fine, but you need to know that going in to kind of know what you're getting into. I think trust needs to be 100%, period, end of discussion. If you do not have 100% trust, and I don't mean just partners, any attorney that you're working with, and I say that about every attorney here at this firm, if we don't have 100% trust in any employee or attorney here, they shouldn't be here just the nature of what we do. It's high stakes. We handle a lot of things. People here are given a lot of responsibility on some really significant, important things. It's the whole trust that you just have to have it. And trust is completely compatible with having disagreements. Yeah, you can trust someone absolutely, and yet you can have disagreements about how to move forward. So trust is different than doing everything the same way as the other person. One thing that comes to mind for me is that I came from a defense background and I'm also maybe a, wired to be a little more paranoid about things going wrong. And it drives some people nuts. You know, if you're on the plaintiff side, it's like, Eric, what do you think about this? Uh, I'm worried about A, B, C, D. And if you had the wrong kind of personalities together, they would say, no, don't worry about that. Let's move on. But I was very lucky in most of my career to be working with people who go, Let's listen more about this. Let's figure out what he's worried about. And let's maybe we shouldn't take that case. Maybe this is a big issue. This is one little legal issue could flip the case one way or the other. So there needs to be an environment where people are, where, where dissent is encouraged, I think. You, you have to have people you work with who will say, please disagree with me if you have any concerns because I will learn from that disagreement. It's critical. There's a lot of people that can't take that. And I, I've, I've met them over the years. They just want to say it's my way or the highway, and that's not a good combination. The other issue, too, doing plaintiff stuff is tolerance for risk. We get a lot of cases in where the damages might be astronomical, but we're going to put hundreds of thousands of dollars in the case, maybe even a million dollars in expenses in a case. And we've done that before. 
you got to have partners who were willing to do that. And again, you're not going into it reckless. I mean, you do look at it and analyze it, but that's something else that you need to think about. Risk tolerance, work ethic, open-mindedness, like you said, being able to listen and help. But the bottom line is just trust. Somebody that's professional, ethical, honest, that's a non-starter. If you got any question at all about somebody you're going into any kind of business with, much less law practice, about their professionalism or their honesty or their ethics, run from that. You shouldn't even give it a second thought. There's a solo practice version of partner. When you're talking about partner, you're talking about people you work with within your firm and you see every day or you relate to every day. In a solo practice, you might work with people on a you know referral basis. So someone says, I want to work on a case. Will you help me work on this case? And if I do, I need to do exactly what you're just saying about that person on that case. And sometimes you don't know that person as well as you know your own partner, but you need to you need to figure this out before you jump into a case because you might have someone who just diverges massively. I've actually had a problem with somebody ethically who said, oh, we don't need to produce this thing. I said, no, we got to produce that thing. And that was before I took on the case. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to yeah, help you No, there. good decision. You're right. Yeah. The other thing, too, that I think is a must, you should have a written agreement with your partners before you get started. I would suggest rather than preparing it yourself, there's forms out there, spend the money and go to an attorney who specializes in it because they're going to know what needs to be in it. They're going to make sure nothing's missing. They're going to be able to point things out that you weren't thinking about necessarily. You're just starting out. It's not that expensive. Things like compensation, things like if somebody leaves, what happens if one of the partners leaves? What happens if one of the partners retires? Somebody gets sick, somebody gets disabled. So I think all of those things need to be addressed in a written agreement so everybody understands what their duties and responsibilities and rights are kind of going in. It just makes sense. I mean, it really does. Let me, let me ask you about, about your internal process. You have hired people over the years. Do you look for particular things or do you have an overall feel for, you know, employees are not partners, but they're like partners in many ways. How do you make sure you're not jumping because you're just, it's the newest, bright, brightest, shiny thing in the room, as opposed to, yeah, this person will be a really good fit. The old saying is hire slowly, fire quickly. <laughs> I tend to do the hiring quickly and the firing, whatever, very slowly. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe it's just my personality, but I think it's tougher when you're meeting somebody for the first time and you don't know them or you don't know somebody very well who was close to them. So what about the optimism bias? It's one of Kahneman's fallacies or heuristics. You decide, hey, maybe I'll partner up with this other person. And I like them. I saw them in a trial. They do a great job. And it can blind you. It's like falling in love, right? The, the first three to six months of being in love with somebody, you don't see any faults. It's all good. They are, they're, they're things that they do that are going to be annoying are not annoying in the first three to six months. Same thing with partners, right? You saw them in a good moment. You think, this is great. And you might have to pull yourself back, but you don't want to get paranoid. This is a tough, tough decision to make sometimes. I have worked at two other law firms. I've worked with hundreds of law firms over the years, and I've never seen or been with a better group of people than the attorneys that we have at this office. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, they're all not just very, very bright and hardworking, but they're just wonderful people, and I enjoy spending time with them, much less working with them. They do a great job. And in that, I'm very, very lucky. And any of the success that this firm has had is direct result of the people. And I'm of the school you trust until somebody tells you not to trust them. 
yeah. or does something that causes you not to trust them. I'll tell you this. This is one of the things that is kind of funny. Doing plaintiff's work, all contingency fee cases, you have to look at receivables. You know, we've talked about cash flow and how important that is. And one of the most difficult things to do, I mean, it's just crazy difficult, is to try any kind of prediction of what's going to happen on a particular case. I can look at a case, and I think I'm probably 90% plus accurate historically in terms of whether we're going to be successful with that case. It's another thing to be that precise in terms of the value. And that's because each case is sort of like a roller coaster. It's a journey. Cases don't stay the same when they come in the door. We work on them. We do discovery. And some cases get a whole lot better, and sometimes they get worse. So it's really hard to predict. And nonetheless, I wanted some type of certainty in terms of, are we going to have any revenue next year or the, you know, the year after? And so what I did is I asked the attorneys to very, very conservatively give me some type of estimate as to what the value of a case was. You know, like our inventory of cases. What do we have? When are they set? Because without a setting, I'm not really interested. If a case is going to get done, get resolved, get tried, one loss, it's a trial setting. So one of the attorneys here, my former partner, Paul, would never do that. Never do that. He said, that's ridiculous. And you're just going to jinx it. And I'm just not going to commit to that. He wouldn't put down any value. And I said, I'm not asking you what's going to happen in a particular case, but I would like to know if you have some general idea, even a vague idea of the types of cases that we have and the, and the estimated value. So I never did get any numbers from Paul. And there was another attorney here, a younger attorney, who had a case list. And I asked each of the attorneys to do that maybe a couple times a year or so. And the numbers that this attorney had on the list were so high. <laughs> so they were like crazy high. I came in and said, wow, if this happens, we can all retire next year. And he didn't laugh. <laughs> so... Anyway, it's not an exact science, to say the least. All we can do is make sure we take in good cases and, and do a good job working them up. And we've been doing that. And everything turns out very, very well. I'm, I'm thinking of Kahneman again, the small number fallacy, where you, you know, if you take a very small sample, it can be erratic as far as what, what happens. When you take more cases and spread it out, I mean, you've got, what, 12 attorneys 14. now? 14. And so you've got, you got a lot of attorneys, a lot of cases, and it would seem like your blood pressure can go down a bit because you now spread it all. You you got so many cases going at the same time that some are going to lose. You know that it's and others are going to win. Hopefully most of them get you some result. And I would say this, those of you not starting out right out of school, most attorneys, when they start a firm are leaving from some other place, some other firm, I would say be very, very careful not to burn any bridges. Keep a good relationship with the attorneys that you've worked with sometimes rocky. It's not always smooth when one or more attorneys leave a firm and start out on their own. But all of that passes. There's a little bit of friction and maybe some hard feelings right in the beginning. But that goes away pretty quick, especially if you handle it the right way. And it's really a good thing for you because that's a real good source of business. I have attorneys here that for different reasons have left and joined other firms. I always make sure it's a positive. What I do, and I still do it, I mean, I send them cases. 90% of the stuff we look at, we end up not taking, and we find a home for it with other lawyers. And one of the first places I look are attorneys that used to work here. And you just want to make sure that you handle it the right way. Be upfront. You hear these stories about attorneys leaving a firm in the middle of the night and taking the files, that kind of stuff. I mean, that's crazy. You just don't do that. As I said, when we, the three of us, decided to leave our old firm, I think we gave four or five months notice. We're going to work till the end of the year. The nice thing about it, too, is we had a written agreement in place that spelled out exactly what's done when you leave, and that helped. 
but there was never any real thought to not doing it that way. What's your gut feeling about how often that happens when a firm splits in two or some people leave a firm? How often does it happen as a general rule? Maybe you don't know enough of the inside scoop on a lot of these things, but my impression is there are hard feelings on many of these cases. Yeah, I think there are, like I said, initially, but those hard feelings either will subside or get worse depending on how you handle the situation. And I think it's more the responsibility of the attorneys leaving to do it in a way where you're treating people respectfully, you're being professional, you're honoring your obligations. I've gotten business from the firms that I've been with, a ton of business from them, and I've actually worked on and tried cases with firms that I used to be with and attorneys I used to work with. I'm having this image of when things are going well, you you have basically an institution that extends way beyond the bounds of your building. And, and it takes on all the potential referral sources, including opponents, opponent attorneys on your cases. You're embedded in your community in a very uh, intricate way. And I think we, we've talked about this often, like the, one of the worst things to do, one of the most self-destructive things is just to burn a bridge. Like, why would you ever burn a bridge? Even if you think you're right, and you were wronged by somebody else, like why would you ever burn a bridge? So in kind of wrapping this up, I'm going to give you the silver bullet now. Okay. Actually two things. One is based on what we've been talking about, be practical about it, explore it before you jump ship, put pen to paper, look at what things cost, look at marketing expenses. You can figure out a lot of those things. What, what am I going to market? What kind of cases am I going to get? And if you're already practicing somewhere else, you probably have some good resources, some good relationships to lean on when you leave. So I think, first of all, be practical about it and make sure the numbers add up, have a plan in place. But the real silver bullet is this. It's scary. You're going from a place of comfort and you're getting a paycheck and you're not having to be responsible for paying all the overhead and all the bills. And that's a scary, scary thing, especially if you've done well, you're, you're successful. And the silver bullet is this, have confidence in yourself. Whatever you are worth to somebody else, you're worth at least that much or more to yourself, okay? And I will tell you, I've given this advice to literally to dozens of young attorneys, not so young attorneys who made the jump and started their own firm. And I know them all and they're all still practicing and doing well. And there's not a single one of them, not a single one that I know. And I'm, I'm in, in contact with them that has regretted it. Again, it's all about trusting yourself, having confidence in yourself, but do it in a way where you're planned out and it's not a rush and you really think it out and have a plan in place. Awesome wrap up. Okay, good. That's That's been another episode of The Jury Is Out. Hope you've enjoyed this episode about starting your own law firm. There's a lot to consider. We'll see you next time. I'm Eric Feith. I'm John Simon. See you next time. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. Share your comments with John and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law and tune into other podcasts in the Simon Law Firm library, including Heels in the Courtroom and Results Don't Lie. And subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.